Freddie Williams. This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Mildred DeFilippis. And Christina Weir. Hi, this is Kevin Vandal. Hi, this is Libra Mayo. Hi, this is Brian Ezrelli. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. This is Robert Greenberger. This is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Fortaccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 115.5. I am your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Ed. And Rob is not here for this episode, but uh, we do have a total of seven different books that we will be covering. We have just a small amount of news specifically related to the books that we cover here on the Point Five cast, and let's just get straight into comic news. The first thing we've got is on April 8th, DC released the solicitations for July, and there really isn't a whole lot of surprises here. Uh, Batman Incorporated is coming to an end, and that doesn't really deal with the books that we deal with here, but as we know, Batwing will still continue because of the new direction that it is taking. We'll talk more about the new direction in just a second with an interview that I did with Jimmy Palmiotti, but as far as some of the other books... All of the books that we are currently covering, according to the solicitations, they'll all still be producing new issues. And then in addition to that, we might actually be covering Justice League come July due to the events of Trinity War. It kicks off in July. We have yet to determine exactly how we're going to cover this because it is not only Justice League that we'll be dealing with it, which is where the Batman element comes in, but also Justice League of America and, and Justice League Dark. So we're still trying to figure out exactly how we will cover this event since it is going to be a large event that in one way or another should be covered because there's going to be some sort of repercussions within the Batman universe because of the event that is happening in the DC universe. So just to throw out there, listeners, how would you like us to cover Trinity War once it rolls around this summer, would you like us to cover all three books or Justice League alone? How would you like it? So email us your thoughts at podcast at net, or you can leave a comment in the comment section and we'll talk about those in the upcoming episode next month and then in We'll figure out exactly how we'll cover it. We still have a little bit of time before that happens, but you will need to comment really on this episode for us to really try to figure out exactly how we will cover it since it is only a couple months away. Sweet. And then the other bit of news is at C2E2 at the end of the month, I attended C2E2 and spoke with a number of different creators. I posted the interviews on the website, but one of the creators that specifically deals with one of the series that we talk about is Jimmy Palmiotti, and he talked about Batwing and All-Star and Western with me. So this wasn't an interview form, so I'll just go through some of the points that I asked him and then his responses. On the decision to change the identity of Batwing, Palmiotti stated that the main reason was to try and tie Batwing back into the Batman universe. For a while, the title was coasting on its own and had little to do with what was going on with all the other Bat books. 
Sales were a driving force to bring the title closer to the Batman universe, and not as much out on its own since the numbers were bringing it closer to possible cancellation. Then I asked him how much the book will actually tie into the Batman universe, and he said the book will be showing Luke still being chosen by Batman to take the mantle. Batman will have a larger role in the series through the first couple of issues as Batman is training Luke. The other element is that Luke's father, Lucius, will not know the identity of Batwing, and the relationship of the Fox family will also be explored. Then I asked him if Batman Incorporated ending will affect the title in any way, and he said by bringing the character to Gotham and having him operate in Gotham, there will be less emphasis on Batman Incorporated, but the series will still have Luke working for Batman as David was when the series first began. So... Those were interesting points. Clearly, we already kind of figured out that one of the main reasons they uh, they decided to change the direction of Batwing was because of sales, because the book, for a while, we were talking on the comic cast that this book was probably going to get canceled just because of the low amount of sales and the fact that it really had very, very loose ties. Besides him wearing a suit that had, with a bat symbol on it, it really didn't tie to the Batman universe at all. Yeah, and I think that that really explains, you know, why they're going to go in the direction with Batwing that they're going to go, which we'll get into it more when we get the book. But I think this makes a lot of sense because besides having a bat on his chest, it really didn't have much to do with anything. And the sales were really, really poor. So I think this is a, a positive step. All right, so that is all the news. Like I said, you can go over to the website and check out all the news related to the other stuff, or you can listen to episodes number 114 and 115 of the Comic Cast to hear the news related to all of the main Bat titles that we cover, obviously, as well as the reviews for those books as well. So with that, let's going to throw us straight into our comic book reviews, and our first book we are reviewing is Batwoman number 19. Get down there. The president Whoa, cowgirl, what are you going to do? Hold a gun in one hand and your IV in the other? Batwoman number 19, The Blood is Weak, Wounds. Writers J.H. Williams and W. Hayden Blackman. Artist Trevor McCarthy. This issue opens up right where we left off last month with Agent Chase meeting with her sister Terry. It seems that their father was a costume hero of, of some kind and, and got himself killed. Chase wants advice from Terry because she is about to do something, something horrible, she says, that will shut down the mask and capes forever. But although she seems to have called this meeting to ask for advice, she decides her mind is already made up and flies away in a DEO helicopter. Maggie awakens from a nightmare about the return of the weeping woman in bed with Kate at their new apartment. Kate apologizes again for the scarecrow toxin that she got injected with a couple issues ago. We then cut to Jacob, who is trying to explain to his wife about Hawkfire, and he is trying to save her, not hurt her. Jacob also reveals to her that he may also have a son. We then cut to Hawkfire and Batwoman sitting on a rooftop reviewing some video of a recent fight involving the religion of crime. Hawkfire decides that she can no longer work with Kate because she does not trust the DEO. Batwoman then arrives at the DEO boat and meets with Bones. He has a new mission for Kate. He wants to know who Batman is, and she is going to find out for him. She resists at first, but Bones has leverage and uses it. She has her sister locked up in a cell. Next time, cells. All right. So the first thing I kind of want to talk about in this issue was it seems that Bones' master plan is to have Kate get Batman's identity. Do you think that that's kind of been his end game the entire time, or is it just brought on with the death of Robin, as he says it is? I think it's kind of a twofold. I think I'm pretty sure this was his game plan from the very beginning. That's why it was such a weird thing for Batwoman just to agree to work with the DEO in the first place, in my opinion. When she went and decided to work with the DEO, 
the first thing that immediately came to my mind was, well, the DEO, their job is to try to figure out who everybody is and why would they try to link themselves to somebody so closely related to Batman. Now, as the issue states towards the beginning with the conversation between Hawkfire and Kate, where Hawkfire says she can't understand why she turned her back on Batman and decided to work with the DEO, and she explains, well, that's because Batman's stubborn and Batman wants to do things his way, and I don't like that. And I'm just thinking as she's saying that, but instead she went and worked for the DEO who wants her to do things their way, which is the same thing that she would have had to do if she worked for Batman, only she would have been... I, I, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's an odd situation because the way she was explaining it, it just came across as, huh. And in my mind, I was thinking to myself, wow, Hawkfire is really asking the question that I've been wondering since, I don't know, issue number six. And really, I've been wondering why Batwoman decided not to work with Batman. So it was kind of interesting to see that aspect played into the actual story. The other part that was kind of interesting was the fact that now Bones has Kate's sister, Beth, locked up in a cell, and he's going to use her as the uh, trump card to really get Batwoman to do what he wants. But I have to wonder, really... Yes, I understand that Batwoman feels responsible for what happened to Beth at the end of the Detective Comics run when she was in that book. But at the same point, it's it's just a little bit odd that she would just bend over backwards. It's not like Bone's going to have her killed or something like that. And it's also not like Bone is, is going to like free her sister as soon as she gives up the identity of Batman. I will say that in my mind, I think that this is getting to the direction that I really want it to be a little bit more where it starts to tie back into the Batman universe more so than it did for, well, really the last 18 issues. Last month we saw her have the the little confrontation with Batman after she took down Mr. Freeze, but what's interesting is that the majority of the book was about the supernatural elements, which was really cool to see. And at a point, I thought that the whole reason they were doing that and exploring that was so that Batwoman would have a reason to maybe be the Bat person with the Justice League Dark. But that never happened. So it didn't make a lot of sense. But we're seeing even mentions of current events within the Batman universe with the mention of Damien being dead and the the mention of... Hawkfire bringing up the fact that, you know, there's a situation happening and she doesn't understand why she's siding with D.E.O. instead of Batman. So I find it really cool, but I guess bringing it back to your original question, I think that Bones' plan all along was to use Kate to figure out Batman's identity. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you on that. And in fact, some of the points you hit on with some of the stuff I was thinking, which is, you know, when we see in the story, we see that Kate is really has a level of, of almost hatred for Batman because of him being stubborn and things like that. And and I was thinking the same thing. It's like, how can you you work for the government, which has a way? I mean, Batman. When we see Batman's control over Batman Incorporated figures, it's never that direct, ex- except the occasional issue where he shows up. You know, I mean, like Batwing, he kind of just pointed him at Africa and sent him on his way. Knight and Squire in England. It's not like he's lording over him every day of the week. So I don't, I, I kind of don't understand where this, this, this hatred she seems to be, or deep dislike, I should say, for Batman from her seems to be coming from. 
he hasn't really done anything to her. He's really even been in the series. Yeah, I mean, he's they've only interacted, what, twice? One was the Mr. Freeze thing where she was being very mean towards him. And that's the other time he popped up once and she told him to get out of the room. So in the hospital in the very beginning when he asked her to join Batman Inc. So do you think that there's something there that we don't know about between these two? Like some backstory that we're going to get as a flashback down the road to show why she really dislikes him? I don't know if there's necessarily going to be a flashback explaining it. I think that originally when she started to do what she did, as she said to Hawkfire, she was inspired by him and that's why she took the bat and stuck it on her chest. But I think the the thing is, when you look at the events that have occurred since, and this is kind of getting into like some deep water, murky water that we really shouldn't get into just because of who knows what continuity is, what it is because of the New 52. But if you look at the adjusted timeline or the assumed adjusted timeline, Batwoman obviously takes the role years after Batman exists. So she's inspired by him. But we also know that she takes the role of Batwoman and is operating as Batwoman before all of this crazy stuff with Batman happens. Before he gets killed and is traveling through time trying to get back to the present. Before, well, I mean, at that point he attempted to kill Darkseid using a gun, which was one of the biggest things. So, I mean, like, and she was involved in 52 before that happened. So, I mean... It's likely that maybe some of these different things that have happened to Batman slash Bruce Wayne during the time that she's been Batwoman that has made her realize that maybe he's gone a little bit too far and that's not the direction that she would want to go. But that's not the basis of his character. It's like he was pushed to his brink and he did things. Well, I mean, we've seen in her own series that she's been pushed to the brink and she's decided to do, do things. So, I mean... I think that there is something more that they haven't shown, but whether or not they're ever going to explain it or even make, make a notice that there is something more than what we've seen, because there has been opportunities for them to do this. I mean, they had the zero issue and they, they could have done something there. They had that, that entire issue and it, the number escapes my mind, but the issue where she, they, we basically see her rise to be Batwoman before she becomes Batwoman and Batman approaching her and saying, listen, if you're going to be operating in Gotham, you need to be doing things on my terms or, you know, you're not welcome in the city. And it didn't seem as if she was super opposed to that at that point. But that issue, I really wish I could remember the number, happened in the midst of her deciding to join the DEO. And it was never really explained why she decided to not work with Batman. There was that time, like you mentioned, that she popped up and said that he asked her to be part of Batman Incorporated, and she said no. And that was also around the same time that she decided to become uh, an agent of the DEO. So, like, there's, there's something that doesn't make sense here. And I don't know if it's on purpose or if it's just because of something that they just chose not to to even think about. And they're just, it's, it's there. She has this animosity towards Batman, maybe because he's the top dog in Gotham city. And if that's the case, maybe she should find a new city. Well, and the thing that the other point this kind of brings me to is if she has this like level of disdain for him, why does she totally freak out when bones asks him to find out his identity? I mean, it's obvious that she doesn't like him, that she thinks him he's a, he's a big bully, right? So what's, why does she freak out about, Bones asked him to find the identity, and why would she even care? She doesn't even like the guy. Yeah, it's. I mean, the whole thing is, it's just, 
it's it's con- it's she's contradicting herself in this one issue. She's saying she has this disdain for the character or the the person of Batman, and then at the same point she has you know she'll sit there and say that she doesn't want to help the DEO. So I mean, like she's got to pick a side one way or the other, and I think ultimately what's going to end up happening is Batman is going to be ha- is going to have to come into the series and help her figure out a way to get away from the DEO. And that's probably the only way she's going to be able to get away from the D.O. Now, at the same point, I wonder if... I know that J.H. Williams was involved with the Cameron Chase stuff in the past. So I wonder if that was the original reason of why they brought in the character. Because Williams knew the character and worked with the character in the past. So they thought, let's bring in this character because she'll work well with what we're trying to do with the mythological elements that we're incorporating in Batwoman. I don't know. But... It almost seems at this point, it's weird because in this issue we see like the fake flashback of what her father was, but they don't really explain it. It's just some guy we've never seen before. I mean, the, the other interesting thing is there's so many different characters within the DC Universe. They could have just, instead of having to create some other person, they could have just said, oh, it was this person. You know, somebody we never knew the identity of or something just because it's the new 52, but instead they decide to create this new person that we know absolutely nothing about, which makes me completely not care about her father whatsoever, even though that's what it seems the intent was for us to really care about the fact that the reason she does this is because of what her father used to do. Yeah, and that's something that, you know, was kind of the last thing I was going to bring up is is the stuff with her father. I mean, are we supposed to believe that apparently he's some type of generic hero probably not a metahuman i would guess you know and he gets himself killed and so i think what they're alert uh, you know alluring to is that at some point her and bones and deo are gonna kill all the superheroes or kill all the all you know anybody who's operating with with a mask or a cape on and i don't think the that since her father died being a hero is a really good justification i know her sister's all whacked out now about it but i don't think that's a good justification for a, a genocide of of everyone who wears a mask. I just, it doesn't seem to hold water to me as a good, as a good motivating reason for the character to do what, doing what she's doing. Yeah. To me, it almost, I, I don't uh, like, I, I'm, I guess I missed the part where they're going to go, they wanted to do a genocide of all the superheroes. It really seems to me that they're either, they're trying to either take down all of the superheroes right. in one That's way, way instead of killing them, you know, bring them to justice, make sure that the vigilantes of the world are brought to justice and, demasked for everyone to see who they are. And I think that's more of the intent of what it is. But at the same point, I can see in, if in that regard, why her father's death caused her to want to do that aspect. And it's, and to me, it's because her father was this, you know, he had this secret that he held, he held from his family. His family didn't know about it. Then he ended up dying in the line of duty. And, what do you got? You got a family who doesn't have a father anymore and you've got two girls who are, you know, suffering because their father chose to have this, you know, one way or another, you called it, call it a lifestyle. He chose to have this lifestyle that ended up taking his life and the girls had to suffer through that. And her disdain and hatred for her father because of the fact that he decided to do this and the fact that he died doing it, you know, honestly, if he didn't die, I'm sure Chase would not be in the same situation where she would be, you know, I'm sure her father would have eventually revealed himself and 
that would have been the end of it, and you know Chase would have never become part of the Dio. But the fact that he died and left the two girls without a father, it you know psychologically scarred one of the children and drove the other one to hate him so much to join an organization that basically is their sole mission is to take down the heroes of the world. So I mean, in my mind, it's it, it comes down to. She doesn't, and, and she says it in there. She goes, I, I'm doing what I'm doing so that no other person has to be like you. And right. she's saying this to her sister because of all of the stuff that her sister has gone through. So it, it's justified in a way. And I don't really, I don't have anything that, anything against what Chase is doing because of that. And I think, but I think at the same point, Chase is on a different page than Bones. Bones is just, He's dead set on one one goal, and Chase. Even in the here, they you know they say, she says, you know, I try to get your advice because I'm trying to figure out whether or not I should do this or not. And her sister's like, well, it sounds like you already made up your mind. And the thing is, the fact that she took the time to go to her sister, even if she did already have her mind, shows that she's wavering in some degree. Yeah, and I, and I think that the inevitable conclusion that I kind of see where this is going is, Bones is going to do something that. Chase finds is too far past the line and she's going to be on the side of good or, you know, I mean, I think that's where this is setting up to go, but that's all I got. All right. So Batwoman number 19, I'm going to give a total of four out of five batterings. I am going to give Batwoman number 19, a total of three out of five batterings. All right. So that's going to give Batwoman number 19, a total of three and a half out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Birds of Prey number 19. I'm afraid that my condition has left me cold to your pleas of mercy. Written by Christy Marks, art by Romano Molinar. The uh, issue starts off right where the last issue started, where Black Canary is reading the text, send me the Talon or the Starling dies. The Talon will know where to go to the place she was reborn, one hour. So they start discussing amongst themselves between Batgirl, Condor, Black Canary, as Strix just listens on as to who has actually betrayed them. And as Condor realizes that maybe they're pointing the blame at him, they start giving off a number of different information about the fact that things that they've deduced about him, even though they don't know his identity, they know that he's rich, they know that he speaks Russian, but that's not his first language, that he has an accent that he hides very well, leading them to believe that, yes, he is, in fact, the person who has betrayed them. But as he explains, he says, you may not trust me, but I'm going to help you get Starling back. And as they realize, Strix is actually run off and they go after it. We then see Black Canary have a flashback of the one of the first times she ever actually engaged her husband, Kurt, when she was on Team 7. She had to spar with him during a during a fight and she tries to apologize to him after the fact after he leg sweeps her, he then asks her out for some coffee. What a way to meet a chick for the first time. We then cut to Batgirls scanning the rooftops along with Condor, who's flying in the sky scanning the rooftops. Condor points out to Batgirl that Strix must be scared because she's hiding. Batgirl is confused because she's never known Strix to be scared at all. After she then convinces her that we don't leave anybody behind, Strix explains writes on the on the cement that she will show her where the lab is they get to the lab and once they get there they find two people in owl masks 
working on somebody on a table. They're convinced that they're already working on Starling, but as they find out, it's not Starling at all. They then realize that this entire thing was a setup, so Mr. Freeze could actually follow them to the lab, so Mr. Freeze could find the lab. Mr. Freeze then freezes Strix after she lunges at him. Condor, in turn tries to deflect the ice gun. The birds of prey are completely getting overpowered, but as Mr. Freeze starts to just wane her a little bit, he makes a point to say, a little help here, and as Black Canary says, a little help, and then we is revealed that he is actually talking to Starling. And Black Canary says, you've gone over to his side? And Starling replies, no, sweets, I was always on his side. Next issue, Betrayer and Betrayed. <laughs> Alright, so I just have a couple of points here. It's finally revealed that Starling is in fact the traitor, even though it's been hinted at to us, the readers, for quite some time. So, the more interesting thing to me is the fact that the birds themselves, as smart as Batgirl is supposed to be, or is, is played off to be in all of these other series besides this series... They are all still convinced that it's Condor who's actually the mole. So going off of just their reactions and the fact that they're trying to blame Condor towards the beginning, what do you think of the reveal of Starling to the birds that she's actually the betrayer? I think the reveal is handled fine, but I think that the problem is anytime you have a reveal that us as as the readers already know about, it's going to lose some of its emotional punch. You know, I mean, we get the reaction from the team, but We've all kind of known that Starling is either working for Amanda Waller or now apparently working for Mr. Freeze, who's working for Amanda Waller. It just I think it's it's tough to do a reveal where you already know what's going to happen and have it have any real punch to it. You know, that being said, you know, Starling is, is one of the only characters in the book that has went back to issue one. I and mean, we've lost Poison Ivy and, and, and some other people along the way. So. You know, I think she's one of the founding members of the new 52 Birds of Prey, so there is some reaction there from, from Diana, but it lacks a little punch to me just because I saw it coming. All right, so at least for on my side of it, I, I really wasn't blown away by it. I did find it a little interesting that the birds, they were very quick to defend why they were believing that Condor could be, in fact, the, the person that was betraying them. But then the, at the same point, they were so willing to go alongside him and help him and utilize him to help them, you know, get Strix back and then in turn try to get Starling back at the lab. So to me, I find it interesting that they have their doubts about him, but at the same time, they'll trust him to help them. So that didn't make a lot of sense to me. The other thing I wanted to just quickly briefly mention was when uh, Batgirl and, and Diana are talking to Condor and kind of deducing who he is and explaining why they have their doubts about him, Batgirl starts mentioning all these different things about how she studies accents and it's a hobby of hers, and she starts like listing off all these different things about the type of accent that he has. Is it just me, or does it seem... And, and this is going to kind of step a little outside of Birds of Prey for a second and over into Batgirl. Some of the stuff that they've had Barbara Gordon do in the New 52 has almost seemed a little too out there. She studies accents for a hobby. She's got a PhD, and she is years ahead of everybody in college. Is it just getting to the point where it's getting too unbelievable that she can do all of these different things that they just randomly mention every couple of issues? I, I, well, it, it, some of it is becoming far-fetched, but I think the problem with this is the lack of a cohesive narrative for the character. 
you have her appearing in two books, and I don't know if the two writers ever even talk to each other. So I think when you start compounding it, when Gail Simone once a month gives her a special hobby, and then Christy Marks or the previous writer of Birds of Prey gives her a special hobby every month, I think it you start doubling up, and you get this effect of, in one book, it would be kind of out there to think she had that much. But with her in two different books, it becomes... You know, but this is a problem we have with so many of the books in DC right now, which is there's no cohesive narrative. Stuff happens in one book that should affect characters in another books. I mean, like we have Mister Freeze and Birds of Prey here. We had Mister Freeze and Birds of Prey and Batwoman last month with a broken leg, but now he's fine. You know, but Barbara's. I, I like I, I like Barbara's character much more recently in Birds of Prey than I do over in Batgirl. But yeah, it's, it's she's becoming a. A little bit of everything, isn't she? I mean, can, is there anything this, that she can't do anymore? Yeah, and I and I would have to agree. I think that Birds of Prey is a little bit better of a characterization for Barbara Gordon, and I think it's mostly. Well, I think part of it has to do with it's not fully reflecting on just Barbara Gordon like Batgirl does, and I, that's part of the reason why I think it's a little bit more manageable is the fact that because there's only a little bit that's focused on with Barbara Gordon in every issue, instead of an entire issue, there's less to actually dive into. The cohesiveness does have a problem, and I think the biggest reason of why it has a problem with so many of these books is the fact that even though, you know, you've got these cohesive elements that should have some sort of degree relation to, like you said, Batwoman had Mr. Freeze with a broken leg, and then even last month, Mr. Freeze was in Birds of Prey without a broken leg. And the problem is that they have these different things that happen, and you know, you're supposed to pretend as if you didn't read the other story, so it, it's fine and it makes sense for these are happening at different times, but then at the same point, they're trying to incorporate these different elements at the same point, like they'll mention in one book, oh, Damien's, Damien just died, or they'll mention that some, you know, oh, the Court of All is this, or the Court of All is that. So it's leading you to believe that they're all happening around the same time. But then at the same point, they're all happening, but different things can happen to the same character in different books. So, I mean, that's, that's the biggest problem. They're trying to make it cohesive with small little bits, but they're not focusing on the larger elements and that's the biggest problem. And, you know, this is something that may sound nitpicky for me, but if you're going to have a character in a book like Birds of Prey that's in the Bat universe and she's going to have a totally covered face and doesn't speak and writes messages, couldn't we just use Cassandra Kane? <laughs> I, uh... I mean, seriously, like, I, 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 I don't know why it hadn't occurred to me before. I was reading the book and, she, you know, it reminded remind me back to No Man's Land where before she had learned to talk when she would write the messages to whoever she was talking to. And I thought, if you're going to do this, why why not just give us a character that everyone wants to see instead of this another owl? And I love Scott Snyder's Court of Owl story. I really did. It was one of my favorite stories in five, six, seven years. But enough owls. No more owls. I don't need to see them anymore. You know? I would agree. I think that, you know, the the idea of the character is cool. But when you when it comes to the heart of the character, it's almost the exact same as exact same thing as when Cassandra Kane was first introduced. And that's the thing that just completely bewilders me. And this isn't a character that Scott Snyder came up with. This is a character that Gail Simone created in Batgirl during Night of Owls, the crossover event. And it literally is Cassandra Kane only with an owl motif and wielding a sword. So, I mean, 
there's no difference here. And I don't know why nobody really caught on to that, including myself, when we, when this character was first introduced, probably because we really didn't want to invest that much time into thinking about these characters during that, that point in time, just because they were only going to be around for a month. We had no idea that Gail Simone was going to bring this character back in October when she did the uh, Batgirl annual leading to this character becoming part of the Birds of Prey. So I think that in some regards there are too much owls and I, and I, it goes back to kind of to what I said before with Talon. I've said this in past episodes with Talon. The only way that character is going to stay interesting is if they get away from the court of owls. They need to get that character away from the court of owls and just have him. He has the, you know, kind of, I don't want to say legacy, but he kind of has that, like the history and motif of, the Court of Owls, where that's where he came from, but that's not what he deals with month in and month out, and they really need to figure out how to do that. And, you know, who knows, maybe that is what the intent is down the line, you know, a year after the series starts, but or started, but I don't know. I, I don't know exactly the, the long-term plan for the Court of Owls, if they're literally just going to keep using and using and using it, it's almost feeling as if it's being overused. Oh, I don't think it feels like it's overused, man. I think it's overused. I mean, I, I know that originality is one of the toughest things to do when you're a creator. And I have never created an original character, so I, I probably shouldn't even speak about this. But Scott Snyder created something that was very unique and original, but they are beating it to death. You know? So that's my feelings on it. All right. So Birds of Prey, number 19, I'm going to give a total of three and a half out of five bad ranks. I'm going to give Birds of Prey, number 19, a total of two and a half out of five bad ranks. All right. So that's going to give Birds of Prey, number 19, a total of three out of five bad ranks. Let's move into our next book, Catwoman, number 19. You're the one who's caught Catwoman in the crooked claws of crime. Spare me your morality, hero. Who deserves these precious symbols of feline superiority more than I? Surely not the curators of that musty old museum I rescued them from. Okay, Bats, what's it going to be? Bat catnip to distract the kitties or a high-frequency batamajig to scramble their brains, huh? Catwoman number 19, Slam. Writer Anne Nascente, artist Rafia Sandoval, and inker Jordi Tarango. This issue opens up with Catwoman already in a cell in Arkham Asylum. We then get a flashback to see how she got there. Seems like she is going on an undercover mission for the Justice League. We get to see Catwoman do a fake fight which turns real with her uh, fellow Justice League members before she's rounded up and they take her to Arkham Asylum. Once she's in Arkham, she meets Jeremiah Arkham, who tells her that he can rid her of her criminal impulses through the use of electroshock therapy. As one would expect, Catwoman reacts extremely violently to this and is sent off to a cell, which is located between the cells of Black Mask and Vortex. Catwoman convinces this Vortex character to uh, spit out his medicine, which was he was keeping him docile and his powers unable to be used. Uh, so Vortex doesn't take his medicine and then uses his powers to shatter the glass cell doors and free both himself and Catwoman. But after they escape, he decides he wants to do uh, a lot more damage than just break out. So Catwoman and him fight. And Vortex throws her through a wall, and then she decides it's better off just to leave him to the regular guards to handle. She runs off to the office of Jeremiah Arkham, who is there. She ties him up. Uh, the whole time, he's insisting that he can end her suffering and he can cure her of her criminal impulses. She tells him that she does not want to be cured and hits him in the face. And then uses some insight she got from Black Mass and presses a couple buttons, activates a secret passage, and makes her way through the Gotham Underground and eventually out to freedom. 
And she escapes in the end. And this is going to be continued in Justice League of America, number three and four. Next up in the Catwoman title will be Escalation. So the thing we see here is that Jeremiah Arkham, and we spent a lot of page count talking you know, to Catwoman about the fact that he thinks that she has some severe mental instabilities that makes her need to steal and need to run and that he can cure her. I think Catwoman we've always kind of looked at as more of a traditional like thief, not really one of the psychos in Arkham. So my question is, do we think Catwoman's actually mentally ill? I think that there is something that's probably Catwoman has. I don't think it's a mental illness. I think that Catwoman probably needs a therapist, not a right. Dr. Arkham, to deal with her problems. But the problem is, because of all of the stuff that has happened in the Catwoman series and some of the stuff has been retread on, even though this ha- the series hasn't even been going for two years, it's hard to say you know what's real and what's not real. That whole element that they talked about when they talked about her origin, as far as you know, was she Russian or was she from some other country? She couldn't remember her past. All of this elements, there is something out of that that they could you know she probably could do with some therapy and and you know become a little bit better. But I think at the same point, I think Dr. Arkham is probably a little bit extreme. I don't think that she's mental. Yeah, she might have a fascination with stealing stuff, but that doesn't make you somebody who needs to be in an asylum. There's lots of people who just like stealing stuff, and they never belong in an asylum. It's only when you are stealing stuff and then viciously murdering people <laughs> that you actually belong in an asylum. So I think that... it. To me, when I found out that she was going to be in Arkham, it, to me, it just didn't make a whole lot of sense. And quite honestly, this issue didn't make a whole lot of sense because I don't know why the Justice League of America, just because the Justice League of America says, oh, yeah, we're going to put this person in Arkham Asylum. Take her away. Take her in Arkham Asylum. I'm just thinking to myself, who would have agreed to that? Because you don't just get locked up in Arkham Asylum for the fun of it. You have had to either be locked up in Arkham Asylum before to go back there and not go just to jail. So it's it's weird that they just happened to cook up this plan of, oh, well, Catwoman, you're a bad guy, so we're going to use you to infiltrate Arkham Asylum. It just was a little too far-fetched. You know, it's funny because she doesn't get a trial or anything. She just goes straight to lockup, you know? Manhunter and the boys show up and, and just throw her in, which I did think was kind of, kind of an odd way to handle it to be to be totally honest with you i don't i i i don't think she's mentally ill and we all know that jeremiah arkham just likes to experiment on people on some level you know so that might be some of it but yeah i've, I've never looked at her as, as as the mentally ill type i do think that hopefully they'll retcon or remove the whole she's russian thing because that that never really made any sense to me but you know, I, I digress. You know what? I hope they 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 retcon is the fact that she happened to get pushed off a building by a millionaire who wanted to get rid of her because she knew too much information. Because that's too much like Batman Returns. Yeah, I don't even know. Like, you know, you would think that when you're doing a Catwoman story and it's and it's the new Fifty Two and you're doing the origin, yada yada yada, you know that person's watched Batman Returns, right? I mean, you know they've seen it, or at least the editor editing it has seen it. And someone along the way would go, oh, fellas, it's a little, little similar to that movie. Don't you think someone would bring that up? Yeah. But the one thing I did like about this issue, and let's see how you, how you felt about this. I always thought that one of the many things that was pulling this book down was that the supporting cast was really kind of junk, you know? Like, I never really cared about the fences, and then for a while we had the cop, 
And then, you know, then we had the sparkly guy for a while who was also kind of lame. I actually think that the, the JLA worked nice as the background characters in the book. Like, if you're going to have supporting characters, at least make them interesting. So what do you think about that as the JLA kind of becoming the supporting cast for the book? Well, I think there, it's kind of twofold because one, I, I do think that they are better characters to have than just all of these other random characters that they've had in the past. But I think that this is probably the only time we'll actually see that because I almost feel as if because Catwoman is part of Justice League of America now, they had to figure out a way to actually make it, oh, well, the Catwoman series... We have to play it into Justice League of America in some way, shape, or form because she's part of this other team. I think literally we're going to go right back to, if it's not next month, it's going to be the next month where she's just, it's going to go straight back to you know her horrible supporting cast of characters and we're not going to see, we might see mentions of the Justice League of America, but we're not going to actually see those characters in the series and I, I think that part of it does have to do with the weird cast of characters that have been in the book since the beginning. They had the Lola fence. They had this other fence. I can't remember her name because it's not relevant to my mind. Doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Detective Alvarez. They had Spark. They had, you know, they introduced some guy in the last issue at the end of the issue that could possibly be another person that she could deal with. So, I mean, like, as as horrible as the relationship that has been shown between Batman and Catwoman, it's probably the only thing that's actually remotely interesting about the book, even though it is written extremely bad, because of the fact that it's just about well, I mean, even last issue was it was it was better because it wasn't just let's go shack up, you know, in the nearest penthouse that you're trying to steal stuff from. So I mean, in my mind there's that element, but the problem is because, again, it, it kind of goes back to the fact that because Batman is so far away from every person within the Batman universe, there's almost nothing that these other characters can really tie back into to, you know, they, they're almost forced to have this weird supporting cast of characters that have nothing to do with everything else from the past or from the Batman universe. You know, create a giant new cast of characters because... They don't want to have it too tied to Batman. And I think in some ways that's a shame because and I just said this on, I think it was the normal cast, that my favorite stories of all time are the stories that involve the giant cast of characters from the Batman universe and how they work so well together and how Batman can rely on these other characters, you know, in times of need where, you know, he doesn't have to go find more people who don't have, you know, who have superpowers to help him. He can rely on all these people that he's trained with and trained and, you know, as part of his family. So I think that Catwoman is part of that aspect, but the way she's written within the New 52 is she was basically, you know, Batman's go-to girl when he needed a booty call, and that was the extent of it. Yeah, and, you know, what's funny is that online, I've read a couple of things, apparently... As part of the JLA book next month, uh, no spoilers here for anybody, but her and Green Arrow are going to start having a little thing as well, which, I mean, what is this? Like, if you're just a, does she only date billionaire, you know, superheroes? It just, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. 
And I don't understand why. Well, I mean, what are their other options on the Justice League of America? Hawkman? No. Mm, Martian Manhunter? No. He's a shapeshifter? That'd be kind of cool, maybe, if you're going to date somebody who could look like anybody, right? No? Yeah, only, <laughs> I guess only if she wanted him to look like Batman, which if I was Martian Manhunter, I'd be kind of offended by. True. Yeah. That would be an insult. So, so, Johns, I was just wondering, could you possibly, you know, you could shapeshift into whatever you want, but could your head be Batman's head? Yeah, and we'll keep the costumes on, of course, because yeah. that's how we roll, you know? So. <laughs> yeah, that could be. But, you know, you make a good point there, which is, typically you read ba- other Bat characters in books. The reason why you start reading the book is because you were reading them in Batman, right? But then they spin them off in their own books, and, and they think that they've got to, like, divorce them from the rest of the universe, which is stupid. I mean. The reason Justice League of, of America or regular Justice League sells so well every month is because there's a lot of characters in the book that people actually want to see, you know? And I think that's why they, they missed the boat on not ha- – I, I don't see anything wrong with having multiple characters I actually care about in a title. Like Hush was a who's who of anybody who happened to be standing around at the time, and I think it was one of the best stories they ever did, so – I totally agree. And here's the kind of the last point I had about this book. Do you find it odd that she's in between Vortex and Black Mask and she has no idea who Black Mask is? Because she says when the, the dialogue of the book is, this Black Mask guy said he was a big shot on the outside. If she was so plugged into the criminal underground, wouldn't she know who Black Mask is? What's even weirder is the fact that they reference in the book that Black, to reference back to Sex Comics Annual Number 1, which came out... August of last year, and to 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 learn more about Black Mask, which you do, but it doesn't make a lot of sense because that annual did didn't make a whole lot of sense because it kind of played off two things. If you're unfamiliar with Black Mask, Black Mask is a character by the name of Roman Sionis who has a mask stuck to his face permanently. Jeremiah Arkham for a short time was posing as Black Mask during Battle for the Cowl, which they they reiterated during the Detective Comics Annual number one last August, which was in the New 52, so they, uh, they made it seem as if it did happen, but then at the same point they tried to explain where Black Mask was all of this time. Well, he's been locked up in Arkham, and that's why Arkham was using the mask. What's weird, though, is the fact that they're... Tr- th- that they are referencing Detective Comics Annual Number One and telling you go back and read this, but the stuff that they're referencing that happened during Batman Battle for the Cowl, which happened a year over a year before that. I think it was like two years before that, and during that entire time frame, Catwoman would have known exactly who this person was. Yeah, I mean, is there anyone in Gotham City? And I mean, even like your regular person who lives there who reads a newspaper. They wouldn't know who Black Mask is? I don't know. And, I, like, who's this Vortex character? I didn't know who this Vortex Never heard character of him. was. So, I mean, it was weird that she knew who he was, but she didn't know who Black Mask was. And it was almost as if it was, like, a throw-off, like, oh, well, who's this guy? Because I'm going to, you know, chummy up to the, this other guy who I happen to know, even though you, the reader, have no idea who he is. And the other thing, she's supposed to be a member of the Justice League of America now. And this Vortex cat throws her through a wall. And she just gets up and goes, I'm going to leave the guards to it and runs off. Like, those guards are going to get smoked by that guy. Yeah. I mean, you know. So, yeah, I just, I don't know. It just seemed like another day in the park with Catwoman. So, that's all I got, man. 
All right, Catwoman number 19, I'm going to give a total of two and a half out of five batterings. Uh, Catwoman number 19, I'm going to give a total of two and a half out of five batterings. All right, so that's going to give Catwoman number 19 two and a half out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Talon number seven. I'm sorry, but your terms are not acceptable. I want carte blanche, complete control of the operation. I answer to no one. Now, wait a minute. You can't just roll in here and start giving orders. I just did. Written by James Tenyon IV, art by Gilliam March. The story starts off right where we ended in the last issue, where Casey Washington is leaving a message for Calvin, telling him about her discovery inside of Sebastian Clark's closet slash safe, where she finds out that he, in fact, has been involved with the Court of Owls. Sebastian Clark comes and tells her, you've just made a terrible mistake, slaps her over the head with a gun. We cut to Securitas Island, where the current Grandmaster of the Court of Owls is explaining to Calvin why, in fact, he's been duped from the very beginning. After a long conversation explaining all of this, Calvin deduces that he's probably making this all up. The Grandmaster then tells one of the talents standing by to slit his throat after the youngest of the one, the one that Calvin turned in the last issue, goes against the other Talons and the Grandmaster. He teams up with Talon to take down the other two Talons. In the meantime, there's a bomb that goes off that resets all of the security hardware for the network that the Court of Owls has been using that was originally created by Casey Washington's father. Uh, an escape pod is activated and is revealed, and the Grandmaster gets into the uh, escape pod, and as he is about to launch, Calvin actually shoots off a grappling hook and attaches to it as the escape pod launches off. We then cut back to Sebastian Clark's compound, where he explains to Casey Washington that she's made a huge mistake, that she needs to get locked inside of this pantry, where all of Kelvin's escape bondage implements have been stored. He then makes a phone call saying that the girl found out, and as he says this, he's actually motions to one of the machines that Kelvin has used, and that is supposed to be inescapable, and Casey Washington says computer master override and actually locks him inside of the pantry. Meanwhile, over Gotham City, we see the escape pod flying through the sky and Calvin actually gets thrown off through a water bucket tower thing sitting on top of one of the buildings. And here's the message about Sebastian Clark being related to the actual Court of Owls. We then see Casey Washington telling her daughter that it's time to go. They go down an elevator, and they walk into downtown Gotham City free. Calvin tries calling her, but does not get a hold of her. While he's trying to race there to get there, Batman actually stops Talon and explains, I don't want Talons to operate in my city. I know who exactly who you are. Uh, I know you're not working with them, but you cannot be working in my city. He then puts some sort of device that, that is a prototype by Wayne Tech, that is supposed to be inescapable on him. Next thing you know, Talon is actually gone moments later, and he gets away. Batman just murmurs, Herm, as uh, we then see Calvin arrive at Sebastian Clark's headquarters, and he demands to know where is Casey. As Sebastian Clark explains, well, you've been working with me all along, 
sorry to say that it's about that time where, you know, I don't need your, I don't need you anymore. And we see his new partner, Bane, pop up. As Bane takes Calvin down very easily, we see a giant crack, which appears to be Calvin getting his back snapped or his spine cracked. And we then see the Grandmaster say, Goodbye, Calvin. I'll see you in the next life. As Calvin's body lay motionlessly on the floor. Next, Calvin Rose, R.I.P. All right, so talent number seven. I don't have a whole lot to talk about in this issue except for two real small things. So the first, we see Batman come across Talon and basically tell him, you cannot operate in the city. I don't want Talons in my city. What's to say that Calvin Rose doesn't just take a role of somebody else? Would Batman care? I don't know. I don't. He, he knows that Calvin's not a uh, resurrected Talon. You know, he's not one of that group. I don't see why Calvin... I've never totally understood why Calvin hadn't gone with another identity just to avoid this type of confusion. Because not just as Batman after Talons, everyone in general kind of doesn't like Talons, you know? And they're not a secret anymore because since the Court of Owls is in every single book simultaneously, everyone knows who they are. I would like to see Calvin take on another persona maybe. If, if, if this character is going to stick, which I'm not 100% sure that it is, then I would like to see him take on another persona. And if he did... I can't imagine Batman would actually care. Maybe he'll make him part of Batman Inc. Who knows? Yeah, the, I guess the the thing in my mind is, if he was to change personas, that means they would have to change the name of the book to something else. True. Which you know wouldn't be so out there to do because that's what they're currently doing with Batman and Robin every single month. But I think that I think the problem is that you know he was basically convinced by Sebastian Clark to take this identity of a talent even though and the explanation at the time was well you're taking this role because this is what you despise and this is a sign that you a talent will take down the other talents and the court of owls so it made sense but you know if he obviously he lives on and he isn't dead as they are leading us to believe that he is if he's not dead and he's going to be something else, you would think that the first thing he would do is just take that talent costume and say, I don't want anything to do with this. Maybe go find Batman and say, listen, I want to take down the core of Owls just as much as you do. Help me in some way. And maybe Batman gives him some suit that he could wear that, you know, doesn't necessarily have a bat on it. Or Batman says, listen, we'll take them down completely, but you need to train more because you just being able to escape everything isn't really helping in situations, you know, in other situations. Because as much as they love to say that, he, you know, there's nothing that he can escape from, clearly somebody who's physically, who can physically overpower him isn't going to, isn't going to allow him to escape, as they just showed with Bane. So... I think that's that's that element. The other thing I really quickly want to talk about is the exit of Casey Washington. So Casey Washington leaves after she locks Sebastian Clark in the pantry with all of Calvin Rose's bondage implements. Gotta <laughs> be careful how you say. No, that's exactly how they stayed in the book. I, I'm just saying how it was in the book. It was a weird thing to say. <laughs> it was a really because when it, when, it, when when that happened when I was reading, I'm like, what the where the hell are we going with this? You know. So I, I don't understand why it was called a pantry. I've always been under the assumption that a pantry is where you store food. Yeah, that was a closet, Not, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But whatever, I guess I guess that's Gotham speak. Anyway, the uh 
the exit of Casey Washington is kind of interesting because in one way, she's really been the only female character in this, in this series outside of just a couple of small appearances by some other female characters, like the girl who used to work for Tyel Ghoul, who then was working for Casey Washington, who then is no longer working for Casey Washington. And if you were paying attention to some other of the, uh, the other stories in the Batman universe, she recently appeared in Detective Comics. But, with her exiting, do you think it's going to, is she exiting for a while? Do you think she's going to pop back up? Or do you think that it makes sense for her to be out of the picture now that her father's technology is no really, no longer really in focus? I hope, let me put it like this. I think it would make perfect plausible sense for her to walk up in the sunset, being that the directive that she came in to do with her dad's technology is over with. So I don't have a, a plausibility problem. But this book suffers from what's what a lot of titles suffer, which, and I, this is why I don't want her to leave. You got to give me characters I care about and something going on I care about. Having characters in for three or four issues and then gone again, you're not making the the characters. You're not making me care about about the side characters. And quite frankly, I don't think the writing is horrible in this book. I think James Cain the Fourth is a good writer, but. I don't care enough about talent to invest me in the book. So then the side characters have to be and like in a Batman centric book. You already care about Batman. You already care about Red Robin. They're cool. You, I mean, you're already in. So the side characters can be not as good. But when your central character is lacking, I think you need the Casey's of the world to stick around and build a, a better world. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I, and I think that's true. And I think the, the biggest part is the fact that. The, all of the supporting characters that they've built in this series for Calvin Rose are now kind of slowly exiting. Obviously, Sebastian Clark, I never really liked the guy to begin with. I thought he, there was something wrong with him from the very beginning. But the fact that it's now revealed that, you know, he's, he's been working behind the scenes to kind of redo the Court of Owls his own way since he was part of the Court of Owls in the past. He's clearly going, that's the end game for this story is that Calvin's going to take this guy down. So he's not going to be in the picture anymore either. They introduce Bane, which is, if you weren't, if you didn't read the giant oversized issue of Detective Comics, which was Detective Comics 19, there was kind of like a lead in story as one of the backups for Detective Comics that explains why Bane has come to Gotham City and, and is working with Sebastian Clark and the Corvalls. It explains that, so maybe if you hadn't read that, maybe you should check that out just so you could find out. But the thing is, with Casey Washington not being around, you know, who knows if she'll come back. There's not really a reason she needs to come back, but there isn't anybody else. There was only really these two characters, and now these two characters, one will eventually be eliminated, and the other one is, you know, no longer needed to be around. So, like, they need to do something, and the addition of Bane is kind of cool, and I will, uh, we'll talk, I just want to, we'll talk a little bit about Bane real quick. I think Bane is kind of interesting, mostly because, despite the fact that the uh, backup story in Detective Comics explains why Bane is in this entire situation with Talon, and they, they hint at the events in Batman the Dark Knight, where Bane appears for the first time in the New 52, which I absolutely hated that appearance. But they explained it anyway. I think that ultimately Bane is an interesting addition because they're gonna, it's gonna be a lot more about the psychological aspects of Bane and the militaristic 
aspects of Bane more so than I'm a giant brute who says weird things when I'm hopped up on Venom and I like breaking people. So I think that's, they're going, I think Tinian's going to do some justice to Bane. And I like that. But Bane, I don't think is a long-term supporting character for this series either. So I think they need to build a supporting cast of characters in some way. And if it needs, if they need to have Batman in the book so the book keeps selling, I don't really care. I put Batman in the book. It would make more sense because it would make more sense than just randomly running into some into the guy while he's running across the running across the rooftops. Yeah, and it it does. <laughs> it, that was something I was thinking about. Was Batman just kind of catches this guy on accident, you know? But I do like Bane in the book. I've always liked Bane as a character. The Dark Knight thing with Finch's run was. Uh, it's just not talking. It's just bad. But I, I, I like I like the way he's, he's wrote here, and I like the way he's drawn from an art standpoint. It looks good, and I, and I think that this could be a cool storyline. I do like the fact that we have Batman in the book, and hopefully, if Bane's going to stick around for a couple issues, and I'm assume, assuming he's going to be two, three, four issues run here in Talon, I'm not, it'll be nice to see some interaction between Batman and Bane, even if it's in the Talon book. Because I do think Tinian is a, is a good writer. I'm just not particularly impressed with what the character he gets to play with in this book. But I, I do like having made the book quite a bit, yeah. All right, so Talon number seven, I'm going to give a total of three and a half out of five batterings. Talon number seven, I'm going to give a total of two and a half out of five batterings. All right, so that's going to give Talon number seven a total of three out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 19. <laughs> Would've, if I hadn't seen you slip behind the computer banks three minutes ago. Nah, I got you. Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 19. Communion. Writer, James Tinian IV. Artist, Julius Gopez. This story opens uh, with Jason on a private plane from Wayne Enterprise, which is attacked by a, a miscellaneous sky pirate, and the plane crashes into the Himalayan mountains. Cut to a couple hours later, and we see Starfire and Roy are investigating the crash site, trying to find Jason, and talking to some of the locals. One of the locals is an elderly woman who tries to dissuade them to not look for their friend, and this turns out to be Essence in disguise. But it has no effect, and Roy and Starfire continue their search. They search actually to the point where Roy is, is to the point of exhaustion, and him and Starfire make camp in a cave. And while Roy is sleeping, Essence enters Roy's mind and, and gives him a dream which kind of rehashes and goes through his, you know, alcoholic spurts and his problems with Green Arrow. And, and we see Hugo Strange in it, of all people. But in the end of the dream, it's, he's shown the entrance to the all-cast. So he wakes up and oh, grabs Starfire, and, and they get into the all-cast. Now, when they get in there, they get attacked by a group of, of large kind of behemoth animals that attack them. Uh, and Jason comes to their rescue. But unfortunately, there's no happy reunion as Jason no longer knows who he is. Then we meet Suru, who we last saw back in issue number three, who's one of the guys who uh, can remove your memories from your mind. And we see in a flashback that Jason came to him and he was distraught about the idea that the Joker had influenced his entire life. And he now believed that all the good things he had done had been touched by darkness. So he asked him to take all of his memories away that the darkness had touched. So Suru decides to take all his memories away and leave him with no memories. Next up, the new Jason Todd. I guess the first thing to really touch on this book is, you know, do you think that this, this mind wipe thing is, is going to be restored partially or restored all the way? 
or is Tinian really going to give us a whole new version of Jason Todd? It's hard to say what what the plan is. I mean, clearly, just just going off of this issue, it's it's leading us to believe that Tinian is trying to wipe the slate clean for upcoming stories and not really have to deal with the stuff that Scott Lobdell has done in the past with the series by kind of you know. And they they clearly state, you know, I want to forget the all cast, I want to forget this, I want to forget that. And it's literally like he's listing off all <laughs> the different events that have happened in Scott Lobdell's run so that they don't have to reference it anymore. And, you know, I don't really care one way or the other. I'm not going to say that I don't want him to, you know, to have a fresh start because I think that if they gave him a fresh start, it would be interesting. It would kind of also at the same point take some things away from the character the thing that bothered me the most was reading the beginning of the issue and being told, oh, well, why is this plane leaving Ethiopia? Read Batman and Red Hood, number 20. It isn't out yet, of course. Yeah, which doesn't come out f- until two, I think it was like three weeks after this book came out. So it's like, so you're telling me to read a book that hasn't come out to fill in the gap of time before this book happened. That, that just absolutely pissed me off. Y- you know what, and... That's actually the reason why I think that I, th- I think this is going to be permanent because it was some permanent changes to Jason's character because I think that the they whatever interaction they have in Batman and Red Hood, I think that they need to have it before the memory wipe if that makes any sense. And I think that we could be seeing a new version of Jason who may not have some of this baggage. So I think that's what that was the reason where I thought it was going to stick because. They did that, but it is awfully annoying to reference a book that hasn't even come out yet. It'd be different if the book came out the same week. Yes. And they were saying, oh, check this book out because it's out this week. But to have a book that doesn't come out for an additional three weeks, that's just really annoying. And, like, the thing is, you know, I understand. I'm sure that whatever happens in Batman Red Hood is going to be, you know, important. And it needs to happen before this mind wipe thing. And that's fine. Then you release that's this story right here in Red Hood and the Outlaws number twenty, and then you use this story to just focus on, you know, Starfire and Roy for an issue, you know, them still searching for Jason Todd or something. It's just like the timing, and it just goes back to this is an editorial situation where they should have realized maybe we should wait to release this story until this other one comes out and have Lobdell do one more issue or something. It's just like poor timing on their part to have this happen three weeks before the the thing that's you know causes him to go do this or make that decision happens. Or they could have flip-flopped the, uh, the Red Robin and Red Hood issues because, I mean, it's not like... Well, that wouldn't played into Peter Tomasi's the stages of grief thing. Oh yeah. If they did that. And that's, and I, and and I understand that it really, and you know, honestly, I wouldn't want them to mess around with the order of what he wanted to do with Batman Robin. They should have decided if this is the story the teen's going to jump on with, and it's going to play off of what happens in Batman red hood, then we need to have a fill in issue or something happen this month so that we don't have, us referring to a book that's not even been released yet. Yeah, I think that that is annoying. And that's actually one of the other things I want to talk about was, you know, you brought up the idea of they could use this issue to focus on Roy and Starfire more. And it seems like they're actually, this isn't going to be a stunt relationship, that this is going to be a, uh, a long-term relationship now. What do you think of this? I mean, you think this is a, they make a good comic book couple, or is it just kind of out in left field here with these two? It's hard to say because I think the problem is that Starfire has so much history with 
somebody else from the, the Batman universe that they really haven't, they, they've, they've referenced a couple times, but for the most part, it's kind of odd. I guess it's not really odd. It's, it's kind of annoying the fact that they've decided to, you know, Starfire has this extensive history with the Teen Titans and Dick Grayson, and they decide not to deal with that at all. And, and you know, with the New 52, they're claiming that the Teen Titans that exist now in the New 52 is the first time there's ever been Teen Titans, which means there's been absolutely no reason for Dick Grayson to even be in contact with Starfire because there was never a team that they were both on. I mean, there's a lot of problems. As far as Roy Harper and Starfire, I, I don't know. I think the problem is that, you know, Lobdell has spent a lot of time trying to, like, figure out how to build these characters by, and at the same time, still incorporating a lot of Jason Todd's story that Jason Todd has overshadowed these other two characters, which I understand the book is called Red Hood and the Outlaws, and it's not called Starfire and the Outlaws or Roy Harper and the Outlaws, and that's fine. And trust me, I'd, you know, if this is Jason Todd's book, I wanted to focus mostly on Jason Todd. But the problem is that Lobdell, foc- the, the way he focused on Roy Harper or Starfire was in such odd ways. You know, the, what was it, four-issue story arc where Starfire goes back and works with her sister because there's some aliens that are attacking her home. To me, you know, that was a weird way of, like, focusing on the character because we didn't really learn that much more about the character. You know, they'd been hinting the entire series about Roy Harper's issues with alcoholism and the fact that Killer Croc played some part of him getting clean, but they've never explained it. I mean, we're two years into the series, and Killer Croc, even in this issue, shows up in this dream that he's having caused by Essence as, you know, one of the things, you know, one of the people that he, you know, he, he holds in high regard. Why? Why is he in that dream? Why is he constantly referenced other than he was his AA sponsor? I mean, why has that never been delved into? They could have spent this issue delving into that and then left the, the month, you know, for Red Hood to be, you know, in Batman and Red, and Red Hood. They could have done that. It's just when they pair these two up, I think the problem is it, I think it works in, in a way. But I think the reason why it works and it's not too left field is because they haven't actually built these characters up as much as they should have. Yeah, and I think that what we've seen in a lot of the issues is Jason ends up doing something and they end up doing something by them together. You know, I mean, the entire Death of the Family crossover books between this and the Teen Titans, you know, Jason was completely removed from the action, you know. So I think that this this team book has really not been a, a... a whole lot of a team book. I enjoy it when it talks about Jason, but the team aspect is 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 kind of missing for me in this book. And I'm kind of hoping they they start working together really more as a team. But and the other just kind of last general point on this book was that with the new art and and the new creative team, did you sense a big change here in either the art or the writing, or did it seem to flow pretty well for you when you read it? As far as the the writing, I did note notice some little differences. And, but I could tell that was mostly because I happened to read Red Hood and the Outlaws right after Talon, so I could see the similarities between Tinian's writing in both books. As far as the art goes, I didn't really, I, I think it did flow pretty well. It really wasn't that much, I mean, it was different than the previous art, but I think it's, 
it's in some ways a similar style. So um, even though, you know, some of the details like the faces and things are a little bit different and even the way Starfire is drawn is, is different, I think that it's still in, in a way similar to the, the style that was on the book and before. So I don't, I didn't really, I mean, I knew that, I knew reading it, it was a different writer, but as far as the art goes, it was, it was very similar in style, even though I could tell that there was a slight difference. Yeah, and I, I felt the same way. The, the only major complaint I really have was that something you kind of touched on, Starfire's facial features look just off a little bit, but I, I couldn't have a, I couldn't tell a, a huge difference, which I think is good because a lot of times you see when a new creative team comes over, things get so jarring. And so I, I kind of like the way this one ended up. All right, so Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 19. I'm going to give a total of three out of five batarangs. Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 19. I'm going to give a total of three and a half out of five batarangs. All right, so that's going to give Red Hood and the Outlaws a total of three out of five batarangs. Let's move into our next book, Batwing, number 19. Hardened Kevlar plates over titanium-dipped tri-weave fibers for flexibility. It'll be lighter, faster, more agile. Written by Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray. Art by Eduardo Pensica. The issue starts off with David Zambimbi talking to Batman in a graveyard about the fact that he has to change his life. We then see him talk about how he tracked down Dawn. She was Rachel Nomo, a friend from his childhood, who basically is a hired assassin, and he demands to know where she has taken Ansel. Ansel being the uh, person who was murdering women throughout South Africa, and in turn, his father, who was very rich, was covering up a lot of the murders. After uh, she explains where Ansel is hiding out, Batwing goes there and prevents another murder from happening, and is almost convinced that he wants to murder Ansel, but refuses to do that while he has the bat symbol on his chest because he wants to make sure that the symbol stays pure. He then throws Ansel into the water and electrocutes him to the point where he's not dead, but he is knocked out. Then Batwing goes to Marksbury Mansion to confront Ansel's father and explains that he now has a son and he is going to stop doing everything that he's doing and stop the corruption with the police and everything. And if he doesn't, he'll never see his son again. He then wants to know exactly where the Sky Pirate is so he can finish the job that he started a couple issues ago. Marksbury then explains that Sky Pirate bragged that he was going to rob one of the ships coming into the port called the Storm of Mojilinar. After uh, Marksbury attempts to take a lamp to the back of Batwing's head, he gets kicked in the crotch and slammed against the wall. Then we see Batwing going to the Storm of Mojinlar, where we see it explode. Later, we see David go to the hospital to see Matu. Matu awakens briefly to explain that he, that David needs to decide what is the most important to you and take back what is the most important thing. You have to take the weight of things that aren't important to you off your shoulders. Matu then dies. We then see, uh, David telling his fellow police officer Kia about a tip where Ansel Marksbury's location is. They come and get him and they bring him to the captain's office. Kia then, uh, after the captain explains, well, you're still suspended 
because of the, the situation that happened before. David explains, don't worry, you can give all the credit to Kia. He then tells Kia, please leave, I have to do something privately. He then gives his badge to the captain and says, I'm done here, I can't work here anymore, there's too much corruption. And he leaves. Kia then goes to David and says, is it true that you quit? And he says, yes, I, I can't deal with the, the, everything that goes on in this place. I have to do things my way. And she then kisses him. He then walks off. We then cut to present time where David is handing the suit over to Batman and explains that he's done with working with Batman Incorporated. Batman says he respects and understands his reasons and that he understands that he has everything, uh, that he is always welcome at Batman Incorporated. And David explains that Batman inspired him more than anyone else could have ever done and that he has some intel on uh, some guns that are being flown in from Russia. We then cut to Gotham City where... Bruce Wayne is showing Alfred a new bat suit, which is kind of a mix between the Batwing suit and the Batman Beyond suit. And Bruce Wayne is telling Alfred that Lucius Fox outdid himself, naming off a number of different elements of the suit that are new, including specific elements that we know the uh, Batman Beyond suit has. We then see Bruce instruct Alfred to bring back his first choice for Batwing back to the bunker later tonight after the fight. We then cut to a MMA fight where there are two people fighting where we find out we are basically during the fight. We're hearing a conversation between Lucius Fox and his son about how the fact that his son just graduated from MIT a year early. He has a stack of job offers, including one at Wayne Enterprises. And we then see Luke Fox saying in his own head that he wants to work, but not in the way that his father imagines. He's done everything possible to get Batman's attention, that he wants to be part of Batman Incorporated. And we are then introduced to what we would presume to be the new Batwing, Luke Fox. Next, are you ready for the new Batwing? All right, so first off, again, I only have two things. One, what did you think of how everything wrapped up? How well do you think Gray and Palmiotti did with wrapping everything up with the David story? Because there was a decent amount of loose ends, and how well do you think they wrapped all of those loose ends up where we really don't have to focus on that character anymore? I think they did a good enough of a job of giving us enough answers to the things that people may have been caring about that was hanging out there where we can kind of not have to de- – I mean, to me, this is a total close the book on David's character, you know? They hit all the major things. He doesn't die, which, I mean, we all thought he was going to die, but he doesn't die. If anything, these last two issues of Batwing just felt anticlimactic to me, the way they they wrapped it up. It just seemed like a checklist, like, oh, let's get rid of the Sky Pirate, and David's going to kiss this chick he's been working with. Got that. And the serial killer kid got him. I mean, it just seemed like it was, we got these things to wrap up. Let's wrap it up and move on. I think that's true, but I think that in a way, the, the, here's what I think. I think they did a good job with getting rid of these characters, or you know, wrapping this characters, wrapping this character up, so we don't have to focus on him. Obviously, I think the thing is, it probably felt like a checklist because it was pretty rushed because it, there was so many different things that have happened with this character from the beginning yeah. that they needed to figure out a way to wrap up so that if you were invested in the character, you did get some sort of closure. 
in my opinion, I'm glad it was kind of rushed because I have been, my attention on this series has been really lacking for, I'd say probably the last year because I never, ever since they got away from the storyline where Batwing was finding the old heroes of Africa, the guardians of Africa or whatever they were called, when he got done with that story and he got done fighting Massacre, it really just went down downhill from there. I never really cared about, you know, obviously there are, there are places not just in Africa, but all over the world where there's going to have corruption on the police force. That's, that's a given. So that's, that was never really like that big of a surprise. It's, I, I, you know, if they have corruption in Gotham City, I'm sure they have it in, in Africa. It's not something that, you know, there are certain cultures that are going to not be affected by corruption in general. So I think that there's all these different things. The Sky Pirate, I never gave two craps about that. Matu died, which, you know, Matu was a good Alfred to Batwing, but that was like the extent of the, the, the ties to Batman. The fact that this was a Batman on a completely different continent and in a completely different culture. And, but he, he had a suit. He was doing similar things to, um, if you look at it from the perspective of, if you don't know who Batman is and you literally just read that series, it's a, it's a decent story for the time, the place, and the character to be just Batman. The problem is that it's just, it's not interesting to those of us who are reading it as this is supposed to be an extension of the Batman universe or an extension of Batman Incorporated because it didn't deal with Batman Incorporated at all. It didn't really deal with the Batman universe. It was tied into the Night of Owls in a very loose way where Batwing just happened to be in Gotham around the same time because of what he was going to have to deal with with Massacre. So I think that they did a good job of wrapping it up because, you know, I kept saying for months that this series was going to get canceled. And to get the payoff at the end with who's going to be the new Batwing, how closely it relates to the, the Batman universe... And the fact that knowing that this Batwing is going to be in Gotham, is going to be operating in Gotham, going to be working hand-in-hand with other members of the Batman universe, and the fact that he has ties to Lucius Fox, which means we'll get a, a, a lot more exploration of the business side of Wayne Enterprises and, and things like that. I think that this is, I think that they did a very good job of wrapping it up and giving us a big payoff. Yeah, and I think that the the part of the story that I really thought was very well done for for the transition part of the piece was how David talked to to Bruce Batman about why Batwing didn't work in Africa, you know that it worked just fine in Gotham City and it worked fine in some places, but in in Africa the idea of the bat doesn't work there, and I think that was great for a rationale of why we're bringing it the Batwing suit and why Batwing is now going to be based out of Gotham City or someplace closer to Bruce. So I like the fact that there was a, a reason why we see the transition on, on the Batwing other than, well, we need to make it in Gotham City because it's more interesting, which it is going to be way more interesting because it's in Gotham City. And I love the idea of seeing more of Wayne Enterprises. So I think all that is positive, but I just like the fact that they did a kind of a cool transition on why. All right. And then my, my second point is, so we get the introduction of Luke Fox now, Luke Fox has, he doesn't have that much of a history within the Batman universe, but recently, 
when Batman Beyond Unlimited first came to be, there was a mention at the beginning that Wayne Enterprises was actually being run by Lucius Fox's son, Lucius Fox Jr., which we would assume is also Luke Fox. So it kind of plays into the long-term continuity of it. At the same time, we also know that Luke Fox is Lucius Fox's son. It's been said in interviews that Lucius Fox will not know that his son is, in fact, Batwing, but he'll be working with Batwing, which will be kind of an interesting dynamic between father and son without actually father knowing its son. So I think that's interesting. But I the, the one question I actually have is, in the Batcave, Alfred mentions to Bruce, so you decided to go back to your first choice for Batwing, meaning that David was not the first choice. He was the second choice, or what we would presume to be the second choice, but that Bruce, actually, his first choice for Batwing was Luke Fox. So what did you think of that remark right there, and the fact that later on we see Luke Fox making a statement saying, I've tried to do everything I possibly can to get Batman's attention, you know, I want to be part of Batman Incorporated, I don't know what I have to do to get his attention, and this entire time clearly he's had Batman's attention, but the question is, why didn't Batman choose Luke Fox in the first place? You know, when I first saw that, my, my immediate thought was someone goofed. And then the more I thought about it, kind of the thing I mentally settled on, and I don't have any evidence except just thoughts in my head, but I'm thinking that maybe Batman either approached Lucius before he asked Luke and said, you know, I'm interested in your son becoming part of Batman Inc., and Lucius told him to stay away from his son. Or he just decided to back off from Luke, although he felt he was the most qualified person to be Batwing, out of respect for Lucius. So I think that there's probably something along those lines, you know? And that probably makes the most sense. You know, that some somewhere along the line, he, he maybe went to Lucius and said, I'm going to ask your son to be part of Batman Inc. And Lucius said, no, 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 you're not. You know, which I think could be very cool down the line, because if Lucius did tell him he didn't want his son to be part of Batman Inc., and then he goes and recruits him to be part of Batman Inc. a couple years later anyway. I think at first Lucius won't know he is, but you inevitably will get a story down the road. Maybe it's two years from now, but you know at some point we're going to have the big unveiling of the character to Lucius. You know? And that can make a very interesting dynamic where Lucius is could be you know, could quit when Enterprise could be very mad at Batman if this is kind of what happened. So I think that's cool. What what was your thoughts on it? I don't think that if if Lucius Fox if if Batman actually said to Lucius Fox, I'm, I'm looking to recruit your son for Batman Inc. And Lucius said, no. I don't think Batman would ever go against that because I think Lucius is, is, is too important to what not only Bruce Wayne, but what Batman is too. And I think there would be two, I mean, you're right. It would make a really interesting story to see Lucius Fox leave Wayne Enterprises and have to have Bruce Wayne deal with that. But I don't think that Bruce would do that. I, the other aspect is I don't know that Bruce would actually go to Lucius and say, I want to recruit your son because it just seems completely out of place because Batman was in, it was recruiting a number of already established people who were doing hero vigilante type things in different parts of the world. And Luke Fox is just, you know, super smart, you know, great fighter. It doesn't, he's, but he's not a hero. He, you know, he's not trained in the same ways that vigilantes are. So 
even even when we look at all of the different people that Batman recruited outside of Batwing, when we look at all of these other characters, they all had, you know, mentors that they worked underneath for a long period of time before they either took the role of their mentor or they took their own role. And that happened with Knight and Squire, where the, the original Knights died and the Squire took the place of the Knight and then they found a new Squire. And then even now with Squire taking the role of Knight, the Batman that's uh, located in Japan took the role of his, his mentor. So, I mean, it's, it's entirely possible in, in a way. Night Runner didn't really take the role of a mentor because he didn't have a mentor, but he it was shown in Batman Incorporated that he was trained extensively by Dick Grayson. So, I mean, it's entirely possible. So, it, it seems a little out of place for him just to say, hey, I want to recruit your son because he's he's a great fighter and he's super smart, but he's never done any crime fighting in the, wor- in the world. So, I mean, that that's the only aspect that I think. But I, I do think that... It is going to be, I think the element of Lucius Fox finding out his son is Batwing will eventually be explored, and they could still explore that element of Lucius saying, going to Bruce and saying, you know that this has happened, you didn't tell me, why didn't you tell me, you should have told me, and then Batman, and then they're kind of being that, that rift between Bruce and Lucius, and Lucius could still leave, but I honestly think that if Bruce went to Lucius and said, I want to recruit your son, and, and Lucius said no. I don't see Bruce going against that. Yeah, I think you. Now that I think about it, I think it may have just been maybe it was just respect. But either way, you, you, you know, good point you make there is at some point when Lucius does find out that his son is is Batwing, if Batman hasn't told him, it's going to cause a rift regardless. I would think. The one thing I got from this issue, which was this the, the Batman Beyond suit. I know it's not, but the, the Batman Beyond Batwing suit. With all this high-tech gadgetry, wouldn't he have one of those for him and the rest of the guys, too? You would think so. I mean, wouldn't you get one knocked up for for Red Robin and, and Dick and even Batgirl? I mean, wouldn't you be passing those things out like candy? Wouldn't everyone want one? Just a thought. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's cool, but it, it and that begs the question of why doesn't everybody have one? But again, it's just, I think it, it's the, the interesting thing is he has it. But then he doesn't actually do anything with it. And if that, and I know that Batwing is supposed to have a new suit and this could be the new Batwing suit. But what's interesting is the fact that he mentions all of these different things. Some of, some of the elements we clearly know are elements from the Batman Beyond suit. And he's mentioning all these elements, but his suit doesn't have all these elements. So it's interesting that he's like bragging about how the suit is so awesome and it's got all this stuff. But he's not going to be the one wearing it. So. Right. That's that, that's what got me. It's like that would be like if he he's got a Lamborghini, but he's gonna he's gonna give the Lamborghini away and he's gonna keep driving his his Ford Focus. Yeah. I I just can't believe he wouldn't go back to to Lucius and go. I need another one of those. Make make this one red or what? I mean, whatever. So. All right. So Batwing number nineteen. I'm going to give a total of four out of five batterings. Batman number eighteen. I am also going to give a total of four out of five batterings. All right, so that's going to give Batwing number 19 a total of four out of five batterings. Let's move into our final book, Teen Titans number 19. Nightwing said no unnecessary risks to the squad, but this is necessary. Teen Titans number 19, Trigonometry. Writer Scott Lobdell, artist Eddie Barrows, inks Eber Ferreira. The Titans are questioning Red Robin about the fact that he sent them on a fool's errand in the last issue and lied to them. They want to know the truth and the man that he gives them a straight answer. He basically tells him to get lost and he'll do things his way. And if they don't like it, 
then they can leave and not be a part of his team. All of a sudden, Cassie is overcome by a terrible feeling, and she knows that Trigon is on the loose. He's in Times Square, where we saw him at the end of last issue, and seems to be focused on a young metahuman named Poseidon, and tells him that he should not be living in fear, that he is the powerful one. Spring into action, the Titans launch an attack on Trigon, who tells Cassie that she would be even more powerful if she was raised by her real father, something that she doesn't seem to know anything about. Their first assault ends in failure, and as the team regroups, Red Robin joins them. Cassie lets them know that they may need the uh, help of the entire Justice League. We then cut to Los Angeles, where Beast Boy is recovering from some type of unspecified attack. Raven helps him up and speculates on why Trigon, who is her father, is invading so early, then apologizes to Beast Boy for bringing him into the fray. She then tells him that they are uh, birds of a feather and that he is hers to control. We cut back to New York City, and the fight's not going as well. At this point, Kid Flash is showing memories of himself on trial. Again, things that he has no memory of. Solstice arrives on the scene and tells Poseidon to not be afraid that she's going to get him out of there. Raven and Beast Boy join the battle, and Raven orders Beast Boy to protect her father, Trigon. At this point, a military division shows up and also demands that Trigon stop his offensive actions. At this point, the Poseidon character snaps and lashes out some kind of psychic attack, which knocks both him and Beast Boy unconscious and apparently sends Trigon away. But in the process, it kills all the soldiers that were sent there to stop Trigon. Red Robin knows that the only thing people remember from that day is that teenagers tried to stop a monster and innocent people died. Raven tells the team that Trigon will not kill them until they, he has taken away their honor, love, and friendship, and then he will take their souls. Next, nevermore. So this issue here, we see that the kind of lasting out at the end and, and the death of the soldiers, and Red Robin thinks that this was all a, a ploy from Trigon to destroy the uh, public image of the Titans. How does that idea sit with you? I think it makes sense, and I think the final comment that, that Raven makes that Trigon will not, you know, take their souls until he's overcome their honor, their friendship, and their love. So, I mean, we'll, we know that there's, so maybe this is the elements that are going to be explored. So this is kind of their honor, the fact that, you know, the teenage superheroes have been looked down upon since the beginning of the series, and in turn, they've been trying in some way to kind of like make themselves out to be these good people. And now in turn, this event happens and all these soldiers die and they're kind of left there in the wake of everything. And for everyone just to see all these people dead and these, you know, superheroes still alive. So it puts, it kind of takes away their honor. So maybe the next issue will deal with their love and the next issue will deal with their friendship. But, it's interesting because there's, st I mean, they, I think that it, it's entirely possible for that to be true, but I think that it's going to play out over multiple issues. I can't remember if Ravagers has, it, the series has ended yet or if it's going to be ending shortly. I can't remember one way or the other what happened. I know that series was coming to an end. I can't remember if this month was the last issue or if it, the last issue was in January. I, I just remember knowing that it was getting canceled. So it's interesting to also see these characters popping up. And I wonder if Ravagers didn't end it, if we even would be dealing with Trigon in Teen Titans at all. Yeah, I, I kind of like the idea. And it does, it does actually flow with the narrative pretty well because Raven has these moments of you know, why is he starting this, this frontal attack when his armies aren't aren't supposed to be ready yet? And then it makes sense that it's kind of a diversion. 
you know? So I, I, I like the idea of it. I noticed that there is speculation that Red Robin is being taken over by some kind of something or another. I can't remember what, what the speculation is now, but I mean, he, he has to be under some kind of influence, right? Because if not, he's become a real jerk in the new 52. I mean, what's your thoughts about that? I mean, it's got to be some type of influence because even this issue with the whole, if you don't like it, you can beat it type deal. I don't know. It seems over the top, even for his characterization in, in this issue. Yeah, I think that it, it really just comes down to the fact that, you know, we he, he's, he's under control of something having to do with the Eclipso, as it was hinted at before, what it has to actually do with. I don't know. I don't really understand where they're going with it either, because it seems as if they continue just to play him off as, oh, he's just become a jerk for the next couple issues. It doesn't really seem like we're getting some sort of payoff. It really just cements the fact that they don't know what to do with Tim Drake, so now he's resorted to being a jerk. And I just I just don't get it. And the other problem, too, I have with, you know, is, is that, let's face it, the, the reason we're reviewing this book, and I would say a good reason a lot of people buy Teen Titans is because Tim Drake's in the book. I don't think I'm off base in that comment, right? I don't think you are either. So why would you take him the reason that everyone's tuning into the book in a way and make him the, the character that nobody likes. I mean, isn't that kind of counterproductive in a way? I think it is, but I think that when you look at everything that they've done with Tim Drake since the new 52, I don't think they have any idea what they're doing. They're just really playing it month by month because there's, there's not really, I'm sure. I mean, there's people who are legitimately buying this book because it's the Tim Drake book. I mean, we're, as you said, we are covering this book because it's the Tim Drake book. And they are doing a, I don't know any way of saying it except for they're doing a piss poor job of representing the character of Tim Drake. And this just, again, shows the fact that they have no clue what they're doing with the character. Because if it is, that is in fact that, you know, he's supposed to be controlled by Eclipso or something to do with that, that's fine, but if they're just going to spend three months playing him off as a jerk and, you know, this guy who's going to put them in harm's way and this and the other, that's not doing anything for the character. Maybe the, maybe what they're trying to do is maybe make everybody just hate Tim Drake. So people just forget about him and they can just kill him off. I don't, I don't know. It, I mean, like, I know that's not really probably the case, but in one way or another, it really seems like they really just don't care what's going on with them. And the problem, too, with the he's, you know, invasion of the body snatchers deal with him is that they're not giving us any real evidence that this has actually happened. So if you were if you had walked in and you weren't a regular Teen Titans reader and you said, I'm going to grab these last two issues, especially coming out of Death of the Family. If you hit the, the, the Death of the Family crossover, and we all know when you cross over like that, the sales go way up, right? So they had a bunch of new readers, and then they decide, well, I'm going to stay. You know, I like Tim Drake in the past. I'm going to get his title a shot after Death of the Family. And there's nothing in these issues which would lead you to believe that he's actually being taken over, except just it doesn't make sense. I think you'd read these and go, well, I'm really not interested in reading this character anymore. He's awful, but that's just a feeling from me. We do get some background in this book on Cassie and on Kid Flash. What did you think about that? Were you interested in those ideas, or did they just kind of in one ear out the other type deal when you were reading it's kind of in in one ear out the other because I'm not really super invested in Cassie or Bart or Bart to to the degree that I am with Tim Drake. So to me, I think I think they're trying to. It, it's similar to I think what Scott Lobdell did in Red Hood and the Outlaws. 
during that one issue where we saw Deathstroke pop up and we saw Hugo Strange pop in. I think it's the same thing. He's kind of hinting at something that's going to be explored in the future. The problem is that these characters, because there's, because there's so many characters in this series, it's hard for them. There's, I mean, obviously there's like twice, at least more, I think there's more than twice as many than, uh, Red Hood and the Outlaws because I, I'm sure there's at least six of them. Of them. So the, it's hard for them to concentrate on these characters individually in each issue. This would be, the team books are the perfect books where a backup story would work and a backup story to focus on you know, a single character in each month or something like that to like, because you're never going to see a solstice book. You're never going to see a bunker book. You're never going to see, I mean, you're not probably going to see a kid flash or a a book for Cassie. Superboy's already got his book, so he doesn't need to be focused on, but like these other characters, what they could be doing is they could just make the the other story smaller and then have a, a little backup in the back that focuses on like the individual character the individual characters and what they do when they're not with the Teen Titans or are they just with the Teen Titans or they could do it where, you know, if they're, they ha- they're on a mission for the entire story, there's like the after mission, what they do, what they do as a team after mission. And it kind of like builds, it makes you more invested in the characters by doing that and makes you more invested as the team in a whole, rather than just picking up the book for one character who, who who's rarely even focused on. And even though this really is, I mean, Tim Drake's been focused on pretty a lot in this series. I mean, the zero issue is dedicated to Tim Drake. For the most part, the series start off with Tim Drake being the leader who is seeking out these people and them slowly adding to the roster for the Teen Titans. But at, at the same point, there's not really a whole lot of focus on Tim Drake issue to issue. It's, there's a lot of focus on the team working together. And it's almost like when you look at the justice league, the justice league has all these people, but almost all the members of the justice league have their individual books where they do their own things. And it makes the justice league book more interesting because you're seeing all these characters work together and they don't have that with the teen Titans. So I think that if they put some sort of backup in the back of the book, to focus on these characters and really build these characters more than just the small little origin amounts that we got from when Tim Drake sought these characters out, it would really build on it. Yeah, I think world building is important in any fictional universe, be it DC Comics, Game of Thrones, Star Trek, whatever your particular you know thing is, is, is building a world. I think that's why the Justice League title has always been so successful is the majority of the characters in Justice League, there are some who don't have other books. But if you think about the main ones, Flash, Green Lantern, Batman, Wonder Woman, you don't need to have big character moments with them outside of their interaction in the books because they have their own books. There's so many of the characters in this book where I don't read Superboy, and his title might be great, but I don't read it, so I really don't know anything about it. But the rest of the characters, I don't, I don't like this Bunker guy. I don't hate him, but he just seems like I don't know anything about him. And I think that's what I'm missing in this book is and kind of the, the last point I want to talk about was I'm missing a little bit of a connection with the book because the other characters I don't have a history with and I almost don't care about. Like the Cassie and Kid Flash thing, I'm reading a book about characters I should care about. I simply didn't care. I'm like, I don't care about Cassie's father. Let's go to the next bit, you know. And it's probably because we are reading it from a Red Robin perspective. This is our Red Robin substitute book in a way. But my final point, it looks like Raven – 
and Beast Boy are probably going to join the team by the time this is all, you know, winding down. Do you think that this this team's makeup does need like some new blood put into it? And if so, which characters would you like to see leave and which characters would you like to see join? I think Raven and Beast Boy are kind of given if I mean, with Ravagers no longer being around. So I did look that up, and that series was canceled. I think the, the last issue was back in January. It's it's over and done with. At this point, I'm pretty sure, well, Beast Boy and Raven, it would make more sense for them to be a part of the team. Raven's kind of out there where, she, you know, she's controlling Beast Boy right now, so it's, you know, it's going to probably be like this thing where after the somehow Trigon goes away, Raven doesn't have to deal with Trigon anymore. She doesn't have to, like, be under her father's control or thinking that her father's going to have you know, is going to have control and she has to side with him. That's most likely going to happen. As far as characters to remove the, well, the easiest answer would say Solstice and Bunker because we know so little about these characters. But I actually think that would be a downfall to eliminate those characters because I think that those characters in a way are, they have unique powers that, you know, aren't necessarily something that any of the other characters have. And it kind of adds to the team. But at the same point, if they don't explore the characters and they just add these other two characters to this to the book, it's going to going to make it so crowded, and you'll never be invested in any of these characters. Yeah, I, th- I think that Raven and Beast Boy will join, but again, it, it goes back to like like you're talking about. I mean, if you have these characters join up in the book, and right now with the amount of characters we have, we're not getting enough background. You know what I'm saying? And then all of a sudden you have more characters that we're not getting. I mean, more characters, less page count per character. I mean, I'm just afraid that it's going to become, you know, overloaded. I kind of like Bunker. I would, this sounds awful, but I would kind of like to see Superboy pack up and leave, to be honest with you, because not that I dislike his character, but he's got his own book. But yeah, I mean, I I kind of agree that these characters are going to end up on the team one way or another, and that's how it's going to end up, so. That's all I got. All right. So Teen Titans number 19, I'm going to give a total of three out of five batterings. I'm going to give Teen Titans number 19 a total of three and a half out of five batterings. All right. So that's going to give Teen Titans number 19 a total of three out of five batterings. That is all of our books. Uh, We do have some listener Q&As to go over, uh, just a couple. So the first one comes from Alex, and he says, Great job, guys. If I was a new listener, I would have never known this was a debut episode because of how professional you all sounded. I only read Red Hood and The Outlaws and Teen Titans, but it was still very interesting to hear thoughts on the other series. You guys were much more positive on Teen Titans than I was, and I was glad to hear the new perspectives. It made me appreciate certain aspects more. Well, thank you, Alex, for your comments. I think that's the, the thing with Teen Titans is that a lot of people, including yourself, most likely are reading Teen Titans because Tim Drake is in the book and it's really the only aspect of Tim Drake that we can really get within the New 52 since he's focused so little in all of the other Batman books. And that's one of the reasons why, I mean, I'll tell you the truth. When I first read Teen Titans, well, the first couple issues weren't so bad because Tim Drake was focused on a lot more, but as the series progressed and we started adding all of these other characters, I immediately came to the realization that this was really just, you know, Tim Drake's team that he's leading, but this is not the Tim Drake book. And I think a lot of people, including myself, were under the assumption that this was going to be the Tim Drake books that, you know, we had for, you know, 
almost 20 years with Robin and they didn't deliver. And that's one of the reasons why I think it was so disappointing. When you look at it from outside the perspective of the Tim Drake book and you look at it from the perspective of it is, you know, it's a team book that has to focus on all of these characters. As I mentioned during the review for the book, the, it has its flaws, but I think that there are some, there are some interesting aspects that come from the series when you don't look at it as this is the Tim Drake book. Yeah. And I, I think that that is probably from, you know, us being a Batman podcast. You know, I, I think that that's the, the truth is sometimes you're so let down by the fact that you're not getting more Tim Drake in the book that, I think a lot of this has been pretty a pretty good Teen Titans book, to be honest with you. It's just, and I think let's be honest. One of the things that really soured Tim Drake fans on this series was the origin issue. You know, I mean, a lot of people read that and was just like, "That's it. This book sucks." I mean, you know, I mean, because it was fairly brutal. But no, thanks for the comments. All right, and then the other comment we got was from Mary G, and she says. Since I've stuck with Talon since the beginning, I thought it was interesting to hear your perspective on it again. Personally, I may have dropped it, too, if Casey Washington hadn't shown up in the story. After issue 5, where Batman and Nightwing have a cameo, Dick is changing a light bulb on the ceiling of the Batcave while Bruce is telling him about the recent Talon activity that has taken place, I was thinking I really like the old man Sebastian Clark killed off. I don't think Calvin really needs a benefactor since he now has Casey. I'm really hoping he is one of the bad guys in order to get rid of him. As I said before, Casey is my favorite character in the book. I could see her filling the role of Oracle in the DC Universe since she had all the computer and technology expertise, has run her own organization to get back at the Court of Owls, and because she is a single mother of a young child, she has no aspirations to fight crime as a costumed hero. To me, she is currently one of the best written and drawn females in the Batman universe. Well, Mary, I would have to agree. I think that, one, she is drawn very well, and it's surprising because Gilliam March is the artist, and he tends not to draw females respectively or in a way that is in some ways manageable. I don't know that that's the correct word, but realistic is probably the right word. He over-accentuates a lot of aspects of the female anatomy, but with Casey Washington, he's actually done a good job of just, you know, drawing a normal, normal woman. As far as best written, I think she has been written really well. It's unfortunate because I think that as we talked about during the, the review for this issue, it's we don't know exactly where she's going. Although you'll be happy, obviously, with the the last issue that Sebastian Clark is most likely well, he is a bad guy, but as I mentioned during the review, he's probably going to be eliminated in one way or another. So, with that, I'd like to hear your comments after this episode, so that you can tell us what your thoughts are with the current reveals that just happened in the issue. So be sure to send us a message back, Mary, and let us know. Yeah, and I echo a lot of what Dustin says, and, and something we touched on is that, you know, I hope Casey isn't read out of that book because she could be part of the world building there, and to have her leave now just when she's getting interesting would be a shame. All right, so that is our two listener Q&As. If you have questions or comments about the books that we cover on this episode – be sure to email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net or leave your comments in the podcast section below and we'll answer your questions on the next podcast. This also obviously goes during the entire month of May. If you're reading a book that we, you know we will be reviewing because we review these after the month of May actually happens, 
if you have a question about one of the books, we could always talk about your question related to one of the current books that just released that we hadn't reviewed yet that we obviously will be reviewing on the next episode. And then we could talk about it then too. So that's another thing that, you know, you could ask questions about too. If there's something you're unsure about that's happening in one of the current issues, not reviewed on this episode, but is released in the month of May. Yes. And if you want to, you could also join our Facebook discussion group and ask a question over there under the podcast link. Just don't ask me to explain the timeline of Red Hood and the Outlaws 15, 16, 17, and 18 because I can't. <laughs> All right. So then with that, that is everything that we have for this episode. I want to remind everybody to head over to the website for all the latest news related to movies, TV, merchandise, video game news, and obviously the comic news as well. You can check out our giant line of podcasts that we have to offer, including podcasts related to Batgirl, Robin. We have a podcast for Bat fans, podcasts related to pretty much every aspect of the Batman universe you can imagine is available on the website if you head over there and check them out. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for all the latest news and videos from the Batman universe. As Ed said, also check out our Facebook group to discuss multiple different things happening within the Batman universe with other Bat fans. And you can email us, podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. Leave your comments in the podcast episode post on the website. And, of course, you can leave us reviews on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. That's everything for this episode. This is Dustin. And this is Ed. And you've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. See you guys. Kind of interesting is the fact that Batwing will continue. This is gonna, I'm gonna kill that dog if this is gonna be a thing all day. Kind of the first thing that hit me when I when I read this book is we have Wait a, a second. Yeah. Did, did you did you skip over the part where Bane shows up? Bane. Did I did I miss that part? Yeah, I think you missed like the last half of the book. Bane's not in this book, bro. Which book are we doing? Catwoman. Oh, Catwoman. Oh, For some reason, I thought you were talking. Oh, man. <laughs> like, what? For some reason, I thought you were reviewing Talon. I don't know why I thought that. Like, when you said she she pushes some buttons and she escapes, I'm thinking, okay. And they're like, and to be continued, Just League of America. I'm like, what? What the hell is he talking heck? about? <laughs> because that's exactly what happened in, in, in Talon. Casey Washington pushes some buttons and escapes into oh, Gotham City for freedom. <laughs> but anyway. Okay, because then I grab my Catwoman issue and I'm like, wait, Bane, what the hell do I met? You know? It's just, okay. okay, so. Anyway. Anyway. What did I do? Just so you know, it, it's Simon. It's not. Bush. Yeah, I know. I, I, I figured that's what it was, but with the P in it, I'm like, how are you going to, you know? It's just, it's supposed to be like psychic because his, all of his powers are psychic powers. The peace, silence, and stuff. Oh, I get it. Oh, it's like a play on, okay. That makes sense. The only reason I know that is because of, uh, Young Justice. Cause he was in, that character was in Young Justice. I didn't even, you know what? I watched Young Justice and I didn't make that connection. You just said that. That's pretty bad on my end. But, uh, I didn't. Thank you though.
that makes a lot of makes a lot more sense now. 